0: I'm heavy towards the hybrid cloud solution, and I hope more people and more vendors and then more broadcasters are, are joining me on that journey.
1: Hello, and welcome to the DPP podcast, your regular dose of hobnobbing, discussions, musings, hype vetting and more with technology and business leaders in the media and entertainment industry. And of course, its ecosystem and orbit of suppliers and innovative technology partners. I'm Edward Qualtro, Editorial Director here at the DPP, and you just heard CTO of Icelandic national broadcaster RUV, Bragi Reynason. I am pleased to introduce to you a short discussion we had in August 2023 when Braggy discussed his responsibilities with Icelandic Search and Rescue, going abroad as part of the technology response at international disaster areas and how that helps his day-to-day role as CTO. We also talked about hybrid cloud, hybrid production, upcoming initiatives at RUV and what he is hoping to get out of his upcoming trip to IBC in Amsterdam and we hope you enjoy listening to what Braggy has to say. Hello, Bragi. Welcome to the DPP podcast. Thank you very much for joining. Could you please just introduce who you are, maybe where you are as well for our listeners?
0: Yeah. Hi, my name is Bragi and I'm uh, the CTO of RÚV. Uh, we are the state broadcaster of Iceland, so I'm located in Reykjavik, Iceland.
1: Thank you very much. And another tough question before I ask you a bit more about your role and um, what's happening over at RUV is what sort of activities have you been doing this week? How typical is that of your usual usual responsibilities? This has been
0: an interesting week. Uh, beginning of August is always interesting. It's it's quite fascinating to see the energy within the company and, and how tangible it is. Uh, so for me, August is always a, a really exciting month. I would say it's a typical week. It's a typical typical August week. So we are catching up with projects, making sure that they're on track and 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 and
1: making plans for IBC. And I will ask you a little bit about IBC maybe a bit later, and that's probably similar for our week. It seems like we do a lot of the work whilst all our members are on holiday. We're writing reports and preparing for events in the autumn. So I want to ask you in a little bit about some of the initiatives projects you're involved in with the broadcaster but i also first of all i know you do a lot of work outside or a fair bit of work outside of your day-to-day job and outside of iceland as well so could you tell us a little bit about some of the work you do with net hope and i hope i pronounce it right ISAR, um outside of iceland and where that takes place and maybe how you got involved in it as well
0: so uh, iceland um does not have any army or, or civil guards. Uh, so historically, search and rescue in Iceland has been on volunteer basis for almost 100 years. So I used to grow up in the scouts and it's not uncommon when the scouts get older that they move over to the search and rescue. And that's exactly what happened to me 20 years back. I became a volunteer within ISAR, which is the Iceland Association of Search and Rescue. And it happened that ISAR had an international urban search and rescue team that deploys into disaster zones after catastrophic earthquakes. So we went to Haiti, for an example, after the earthquake 2010. And I was asked by that team to join as a communication technician at the time. And that led into intensive training uh, within ISAR, the civil protection mechanism of of the European Union and then the UN. And I ended up being one of the team leaders of of ISAR uh, international team for, for a couple of years. A few of us in the urban search and rescue started to work with Nettop 10 years ago. And Nettop is a non-governmental organization. It's a US-based uh, non-governmental organization, which is owned by the biggest non-governmental organizations in the world, like Red Cross, UNICEF, Save the Children, uh, for example. And Nettop's goal is to support members, organizations, and government parties to establish a connectivity to an internet in an uh, emergency situation. So my work with Nettop has been focused on that. On that responding to uh, emergency uh, situation with internet connectivity for members and government parties. Uh, my work in Ukraine and, and Philippines, you know, uh, I was uh, I was there this uh, spring, and that was part of the uh, network work that we were actually doing there. And it was, it was uh, a training, so so it was a related training to emergency respond uh, with internet connectivity uh, during emergencies. And it's quite, uh, in my opinion, it's quite quite fascinating how these two, you know two different worlds collide, uh, uh, being uh, in the search and rescue and working for a broadcaster. Uh, In both cases, we are working with time uh, and and, and time is is an essence. Uh, And and to be able to take a rapid decision uh, on the fly, often with a big impact on a project is is quite fascinating. So so in my opinion, I'm, I'm quite lucky to be able to use the same energy in two totally different areas one as a volunteer and the other one as
1: uh, as a staff member. That's fascinating. So could you say, so what are the sort of projects that you would be involved in in those areas, setting up the communication links? What are sort of the technologies? And is it for the recovery or is it for the disaster response or is it uh, for sort of various bits in between that that, that is helping?
0: So it, it is both. You know, the, the, the biggest organisations are are. You know the owners of Nettop, so we are always supporting them. But but internet connectivity as a, as a service is is one of the key uh, services that that is needed uh, during a disaster. You know uh, citizens in, in in a disaster zone they have to be able to communicate, and the government parties have to be able to communicate, and and of course uh, the responders and and how they cooperate. Uh, it, it always you know everything happens on the internet today. So our goal is to make sure that that we get. A limited, at least limited connectivity I've been running as as fast as you can and making sure that uh, everyone gets connected and that that can mean that that we are you know we have responded to the Syrian crisis, for example then that we uh, responded to the refugee camps and we made sure that, that the refugee camps themselves got connected to internet so so people could actually log in and see what was the next step of of being a refugee from from Syria for example so so it's all around. Just the internet itself. That's something that all of us are using. It doesn't matter how how much the income is.
1: Thank you. And I want to ask before I ask you a bit more about some of your uh, role at uh, RUV. Is this your? Uh, you say that Iceland has no military. Use. Does it mean that the uh, employer is supportive then of uh, people like you going over to partake in this kind of work? The the um, disaster responses, whether that's internationally or at home. Yeah, it means it means that. Uh, of course, ISAR focus
0: is, is is local. It's it's on on the civil protection mechanism in Iceland and be, a uh, responder to land and sea situation in Iceland. But we do a fair amount of of international uh, work as well. So it is both. But I would say the majority
1: of the work is is uh, within Iceland. Okay, thank you. So let's talk about what's taking place at home then, and maybe the link is what you just said is like the link between broadcast and going to perhaps like hostile environments and you said you mentioned communication you mentioned time and and decision making what are some of the the lessons that you've learned for your sort of day-to-day role and responsibilities and and leadership lessons and how have you sort of used those i know that uh, you were posting on linkedin recently about the earthquake in iceland sorry was it the eruption uh, and you're streaming live from the event, you know, your quick responders to both cover that and, you know, monitor it as the impacts it would have on the country.
0: Uh, as a broadcaster within the civil protection mechanism, that means that, you know, when you when you have been in the search and rescue for a while, you know more or less everyone that matters in that world. And, and then, you know, I'm, I'm working for uh, the state broadcaster when it comes to the civil protection mechanism of of that. So that means that we have maybe... A good connections to both worlds. And that meant that uh, we started three years back uh, when when this uh, volcanic eruption started right next to Reykjavik on the Reykjavik Peninsula to live stream from these historical events. And we were live streaming not only for, for us and, and for our news gathering. Uh, of course, that's really important. But we were also live streaming for the Met Office and for the police so they could make the right decision. And in my opinion, I think it was, was really good and it's a really good cooperation because when it comes to video and comes to the media, we are the frontrunners there when it comes to the civil protection role. So it's a, it's a fantastic joint effort on this matter. And of course, that means that for our citizens, they've been able to watch their option uh, from home and take part in these historical events from the day it
1: started. Do you think this means that sort of a uh, resilience of systems and how you run a function is sort of a bit closer to home on the agenda for yourself, maybe compared to CTOs or your peers who, you know, might not have the same ge- geological pressures on them?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, I definitely agree on that. You know, the search and rescue heart is deep in my soul. <laughs> so, So exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
1: Okay, so thank you for that. I, what I want to ask you about is some of the current um, projects, opportunities, challenges you're in, involved in at RUV. I know we've engaged the um, European Broadcaster Summit and you, I know you speak to a number of your peers about what, what they're trying to achieve. Could you tell us about some of the things that you have sort of your your organisation working on and also what are the what the challenges are with those?
0: A lot is changing in our industry. There's
1: a huge grow in real
0: usage of AI, like we all know, and, and spin-up channels are everywhere. Uh, user engage- engagement in general is growing fast. And uh, my role as a CTO is to look ahead and try to steer our focus uh, in the right direction for this future. But at the same time, there's a lot of uncertainty in the future at the moment, how things are going and where they will be. How can you use the AI and, but, but still protect our content and and what workflows do fit in the cloud, and and what is just more convenient to have on-prem. And in, in general, do we agree on standards? And and then we have the audience. How do we engage with Generation set and and now Generation Alpha? And how can we use the technology to enable our workflows towards those generations? The biggest challenge, in my opinion, is how to make sure that we are future-proof. We took an approach with an RUE to develop uh, our own MAM and and own API internally to make sure that we have 100% control and ownership of our metadata and files and by products and services that can enable these assets in the best way. So uh, our biggest project at the moment is to finish our new MAM and our new API and the next step were, are then to uh, rebuild our online player and, and, and integrate login into that. And then we're also shopping around with vendors to see how we can upgrade our tools and workflows to be able to get more success with viewer
1: engagement. How big is the challenge? You said future proofing. Has that been a, a very sort of tough process to make the final decision that the route you're going down is the one that will still provide? Value and not trap you into something in in a few years time. I know it's something we speak to our members a lot about when they're sort of architecting their their tech stack, their futures.
0: Yeah, it's exactly you know it's the same here. It's it's quite complicated, but but in my opinion, you know, I think it's the right approach. Right approach that we are taking uh, to just make sure that we have the full ownership of everything. You know, we have the full ownership of the workflow. We have the full ownership of of the data and the metadata itself. You know, and that means that that we can then enhance the metadata with different tools. I think the only method of going forward into this future is just make sure that we are as flexible as we possibly can and we can be rapid
1: in making decisions. That sounds like the sentiments that uh, a lot of our members are saying at the moment. And it's very interesting to hear you name things that, you know, it's good for for us to hear because these are pieces of work we're going to be doing over the coming months as well. We have a piece coming up about our AI. We have a piece about future-ready media businesses. We have a piece about sort of, you said, engagement, about hybrid working as well that is very glad that you contributed to. So could you tell us a little bit about that conversation? This can maybe be a... Um, A little teaser for our members for when we do release that work in a couple of months so rowan and i have been writing up the work about hybrid working that encompasses the ongoing business operations you know the back office it perhaps but also encompasses the production side live production um, remote production uh, production for not for pre-recorded or you know non-live content what are some of the um trends, the directions that you're seeing and how you're approaching some of the, the challenges in that in that space?
0: Like I said before, uh, the working environment in our industry is changing. The software approach is now a common tool within the broadcasting toolbox. But in the end, we are, no, we are in a little bit of a pitfall when it comes to these changes. The vendors are used to being able to control the hardware and the software to make a product. And we as broadcasters, Are used to being able to control these products to make our production lines. With this change, some of the vendors are really afraid of losing the control over the hardware. And at the same time, broadcasters are really afraid of losing the control of the product. I think all of us like to have the flexibility that comes with cloud, but still, we like to keep certain things on prem for many reasons. Cost is one of them, but security and control is also a big factor. We are not keen on taking production workflows out of our safe space uh, and start compromising on quality if there's no need to do so. So I, in the end, I, I think it all depends on the size of the project and, and you know, how complicated it is, you know, rather we should, you know, move it to a cloud or something like that, or just one-prem. The hybrid approach uh, combines, in my opinion, best of both worlds. It's interesting to see. Uh, how suppliers are approaching this. Some are still heavy on the public cloud, but I see vendors. I see oh, I see more vendors offer the products for hybrid cloud environment, and that's really interesting for me.
1: Thank you, Ray. It sounds like you have summarised almost Rowan's reflections and conclusions, because so many of the things that you've discussed there have, um, have have been in that piece that I've just been reading very recently. The uh, there is actually a significant amount of alignment it showed between what customers really want from products for production. And it's ultimately what you said, flexibility, ease of integration, ease of use. And a lot of the vendors say this is where they are focusing their sort of investments. But like you said, there is a challenge there because it sort of disrupts a model that has been happening um, for a while. And also the the where the industry is with public cloud. And I think there is a bit of a difference between what some of the European organizations uh, are operating. And the direction in America as well, which seems to be a little bit more public cloud uh, advo- advocacy, I would say. I don't know if that's something you hear as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I hear the same, you know. and But at the same time, I've yet to find a CTO, that, at least within uh, Europe, that has calculated that it's cheaper to go into a public cloud than just staying on-prem. I can totally understand if you have a production uh, t- productions all around and, and the cost of traveling is, is really high. Uh, of course, then this makes totally sense uh, uh, to go
1: to public cloud, but for majority of the broadcasters, uh, that's not the case. Thank you, yes. And on the subject of traveling, I'm going to ask you about some of your upcoming travels as well. So at the time of recording, it's sort of towards middle and end of August. Um, there is a big... Conference that takes place in Amsterdam that the DPP is going to have some presence at. Are you making a trip over to IBC this year? And and if so, how many times have you have you made that visit?
0: Oh yes, I'm going this year, and it's probably my tenth time. I, I think uh, it's a it's a yearly visit for us to go there and and see the trends.
1: Okay, so that's preempted my next question so what do you look to get out of a visit like that so not doesn't need to specifically be a response about this upcoming IBC although you can do it's like what what is it about a trip like that I know you're going to have a few colleagues with you as well that will make that a useful worthwhile few days uh, out of the office while you sort of prepare for upcoming projects and initiatives in my opinion
0: I hope to see more trends towards hybrid uh, hybrid solutions and I I hope to see more stable, you know, more big, stable companies move towards becoming a agile software development companies instead of being a hardware provider. We've already seen big moves, uh, like with Grass Valley, for an example, that, you know, when they came out and, and introduced Grass Valley AMP, it's a, it's a, it was a big move. And now we see a, a really interesting move with Avid, for an example. They announced this week that they were bought by an equity firm that focuses on software development only. So, so we are seeing this move. And now we also see blackmatic that is also moving towards the spectrum of being, at least on, on some states, a software development company. And they are always disruptive when it comes to the industry. So that's really uh, interesting as well. You know, in my opinion, I think uh, uh, IPC that is worthwhile is to, have, you know, go to IPC and, and have a better understanding of, of how the industry itself is moving towards a software industry uh, in the upcoming years, so so I would be in a better position to take uh, important decisions for RUE for the
1: next five to ten years. Is the move to software? Do you think reflected in how the stands are even set up? Were we was it once a era a world of racks and big bits of kit, and that's sort of slightly disappearing now? Is it particularly at that southern end where the really big technology companies are?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know. Actually, in my opinion, you can look at the stands and if there's a lot of iron in the stand, that means that it's an old school company. And if there's a lot of uh, computer monitors showing, you know, some software, that means that, you know, they are front runners in the industry. So I totally agree on that. You know, over the upcoming years, the iron uh, will disappear. But of course, we will have the cameras and we will have tripods and lights and light stands and things like that rigging. But for our workflows, uh, the boxes will disappear.
1: Yeah, and that kit, because I think you mentioned you've got an upcoming redesign or refresh coming in the next few years, have you as well? So is that something you'll be investigating and maybe speaking to others about as well, about how they're approaching that?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, we... we... You know, I think in 10 years time, uh, everything will be code only when it comes to our MCR and things like that, how we how we contribute content through our, uh, you know, linear and OTT channels. And yeah, I think, I think it's really important that we get a good glimpse on in which approach uh, that is going and how we can line up for that. We have a big upgrade coming in, in 24, 25, something like that. And of course, we want to be as flexible uh, in that setup as we possibly can.
1: Thank you. And one other one about IBC. Will we be able to entertain you and get you any uh, food or refreshments at any point of your trip to Amsterdam, Bragi?
0: Yes, I will at least join the the Espresso Summit. I look really forward to it. Start the IBC with with a good espresso.
1: That's very good to hear. It was a very successful event when we did it for the first time last year. So, yeah, we look forward to uh, entertaining you there. You definitely need it for the upcoming days you'll have walking around. And the challenge will be to see if you can do as many steps as our colleague David, who did 90,000 uh, at NAB, I think he recorded over his three days there, which was quite an effort. So, braggy is there anything else that we feel we should cover that we have not covered already about? Uh, either it could be a message that you'd want to share or a question or something you'd want to um, ask your peers. Or or do you think that we've uh, got a good idea of what's taking place and what your role is like?
0: I, I think we've covered at least most of the things. I'm heavy towards the hybrid cloud solution and I hope more people and more
1: vendors and then more broadcasters are, are joining me
0: on that journey.
1: Okay, that's good to hear. And I hope then that the work that we're going to publish uh, in the coming weeks and months about hybrid working, uh, which cover a lot of that, will be relevant and useful and will be things that you agree with too. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to that. Um, well, Braggy, thank you very much for speaking. And I will not be in Amsterdam, but I know the team will look forward to seeing you there. And hopefully, we'll see you in London maybe later in the year too. Yeah, crossing fingers. <music> That then was Bragi Reynason, CTO at Icelandic National Broadcaster RUV. Thanks again to Bragi for joining. Thank you for listening and I do hope you join us for upcoming episodes and look back in the archives at more discussions with industry leaders, movers and shakers.